Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Alex. And I'm Anthony. And the first story that I brought is science news. And this is from National Geographic, so you know it's real science news. <laughs> um, <laughs> headline reads, a bubbling pool of mud is on the move and no one knows why. That sounds spooky. It's a little spooky. Uh, an area near the San Andreas Fault has, called, has caught people's attention due to a mysterious pot of bubbling mud. Um, and a pot is a type of feature. There will be more of an explanation later. It's oh, not okay. just like literally a, like a, like a, a ceramic pot just like moving <laughs> along. <laughs> there's a, there's a ceramic mud. pot moving along the ground. Um, so it's a mass of carbon dioxide and slurry-like soil that's migrating across the state of California at a pace of 20 feet a year, which is, you know, not super fast, but also faster than mud should probably be going mm-hmm. on its own. Um, so far, it has carved a 24,000-square-foot basin out of the earth, and it shows no signs of stopping. And scientists currently have no idea why it's moving or if it can be stopped. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so this thing appeared in the uh, Salton Trough, it, which is an area of California that's being stretched apart by a tectonic battle between the forces of the San Andreas Fault and the East Pacific Rise, which is a mid-ocean hmm. ridge. Um, the Colorado River dumps a lot of sediment in this area, which gets packed up so that the lower layers, which are a few miles down, get heated up and compressed, transforming into new rock types and emitting CO2. When that CO2 escapes to the surface through existing faults and cracks, it fuels features that are known as mud pots or uh, mud volcanoes, if, uh, which is when they're protruding from the ground. It's basically just bubbling things of mud. Mm-hmm. Um, and both of these features are relatively common but are usually stationary. Um, whereas this one is moving at at an alarming speed. Um, It's currently moving toward uh, Union Pacific Railroad tracks and is causing problems for the engineers there. They tried to dig a well to depressurize the source of the gas, and that had no effect. And they uh, drove steel walls 80 feet into the ground, which the mud pot just went under and kept going along its weirdly linear path. So that did not do it either. That's weird. Um, and mud pots and mud volcanoes generally don't emit much water as part of their like existence, but this one is producing around 40,000 gallons of water a day. Um, so scientists have actually started calling it a mud spring. It must, like, as part of a, a side effect of this is that it emits water, I guess. Huh. Um, and uh, there hasn't been volcanic activity in the area for thousands of years, which can sometimes cause these features, but... Is there's no explanation there, okay. um, and the mud in the in the spring isn't hot or boiling, so that they've ruled out that, um, and it also smells sulfurous, which may suggest a bacterial cause. It may be a type of bacteria that's causing this stuff to move, but scientists just have no idea. And there's more to the article, but it's pretty much just them saying all the things that they think it could be and why it's not that. <laughs> so <laughs> so they, they don't know what it is. Um, yeah, so there's a giant thing of mud that's just moving at a speed, at speed and nobody knows why or how to stop it. Which you think would have been news or something, but I don't know. Uh, it, I guess that's why it, we're here. So is it going to, like, hit something and cause something to <laughs> well, happen? Well, that's, that's the concern is that it's going gonna, it's gonna to take these tracks, the uh, railroad tracks that it's heading towards. 
Um, and right now their only plan is to have a, like a second track that avoids the area. All they can really do is get out of the way. That's so bizarre. I mean, when they said the steel walls didn't stop it, that was, that was the weird part for me. It's like, it just went under. <laughs> like, what's driving well, it? it? What is? It must be. Wait, what would cause that? I'm like, if something deep within the earth is causing this to happen, right. then then that would make sense. Yeah, that 80 feet wouldn't be enough to stop something right. that's like miles down. Right. right. But if it's just like... It didn't even divert it, though. It just kept going. In the same path. In the same path. So it's like, it can't be just like a bunch of bacteria, right? Right. You Why would think, it do that? Then? And it's they said it seemed to be going at a right angle to the different faults in the area, which like that's kind of their only clue at this point. But huh. also doesn't really, I mean, I'm not a geologist, but I have no idea what, like, what that know. would imply either. It's like, I've never heard of that before. So right. I'm just, thinking, <laughs> just, just the, my intuition says that the steel plate thing, because that failed, this has to be something that's like a larger, right. pheno- like geological phenomenon, not just some like localized, like, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Right. Ooh. Yeah, it's it's kind of creepy. It is because like, I don't know. It's just like nowadays when when things geological things happen, you you usually like kind of know what they are. You know, right? What it's, I mean? like especially nowadays, things like, like on like at the surface level. Yeah, not like like the there's a, like ocean a lot of stuff in the bottom of the ocean we yeah. don't understand. But like this is just mud. Um, yes, that we don't is moving for like some you reason. Think that, you think that you think that like we would have seen this before. Like right. we know what this is. Like yeah, that's what, and that's why it's so baffling to everyone because everyone's like we've never yes. seen something like this before. This has never happened. <laughs> it's so, really weird. I thought that was really cool. Well, I hope it doesn't turn into some like cataclysmic, catastrophic mud giant. Well, that's the thing too. Is like even in the time that they've, I think they've been observing it since 2015. Um, so oh. like in that time, it doesn't seem to have actually like grown in size. It's just okay carving away That's through. Good. So who knows? Strange. It could grow though. We don't know anything we about it. We don't know it. what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's aliens. No, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's Maybelline. Yeah. Okay. My first story is technology news and it's world technology news. Oh, oh. Exotic. This is from USA Today, though, is reporting oh, it. Oh, well, okay. Um, <laughs> so police in Dubai may soon be patrolling the streets with hover bikes. <laughs> police are now being trained to fly Hover Surf's first production unit hover bike. It exists. It works. And the police are being trained how to use them right now. Um, the city in the United Arab Emirates prides itself on, the futurist, on its futuristic status and began talks last year with Hoversurf about its EVTOLs, which stands for Electronic Vertical Takeoff and Landing Vehicles. Oh. Police there hope to deploy hoverbikes by 2020 as a way to allow officers to reach hard-to-access areas. Police and Hoversurf recently posted videos of training sessions on social media. So you can go look those up. Uh, quote, we are currently training and working with Dubai police to get their division up and running for 2020, Hoversurf Hover said in a statement to USA Today. So the vehicles weigh 253 pounds. They can fly about 16 feet above the ground. Whoa. And they can go 60 miles per hour. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, they achieve flight with electric ducted fans and propellers. So they look like drones, basically, with just big ones that you can ride on it. Okay. With the, like... You know, They've like got the like the spinny things. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, propellers is the, the technical the, term. <laughs> <laughs> the spinny things. The, yeah. the spinny things. The, the, um, the spinny things that may go up. <laughs> their uh, lithium manganese nickel batteries allow the hover bikes to fly 10 to 25 minutes with a pilot, so it's not that long. Um, but the hover bike can also fly up to 40 minutes in drone mode with no driver, which why would you want it to do that? I don't know. <laughs> We've sent a bike like, to your location. Why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe if you're like calling it, it's like, yeah, you have click a button, like call my Batmobile and then just Yeah, maybe like, they could like get it to an officer or somebody who like yeah. has limited mobility and they could like, like yeah, crawl like, under the bike and then, yeah, I don't know. Mm. Um, but yeah, it can, it can fly in drone mo- mode. So while the Dubai police may be Hoversurf's biggest current customer, anyone can order one of the S3 2019 hover bikes for, guess how much, guess how much they cost? Uh, oh, uh, 100,000. Uh, higher. A million. No. 800,000. Lower. 500,000. Okay, it's, it's 150,000. <laughs> oh, I was pretty close before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, uh, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That seems actually you can pretty reasonable for a, a flying bike. Flying hover bike. Kinda, yeah. I kind of want one now. Yeah, are they save up? I feel like they're probably not legal though. To own. actually, they actually they're FAA approved. Like you probably have to really. Get, mm-hmm. That's what this article said. What? Why haven't we heard more about these? I don't know. Why, why aren't rich people recently. just like flying around yeah, these things? Why know. aren't they everywhere? Because they sound know. awesome. I don't know what the regulations are of like where you can fly them, but they are approved. But like, so you can use them in the U.S. It's like one hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's like a luxury car. Like pretty much, yeah. Somebody like a high end luxury car, right? Yeah. Like so, somebody with that kind of money, why aren't they just I, all flying around? I have to imagine that this is just very new, and so that's why. Like, it, it probably was just approved or something, like, very recently. Wow, that's cool. But, yeah, so keep a lookout for those people with who can buy luxury cars. They might be flying around with uh, drone hover bikes. That'll be interesting. Sometime soon. Well, when you said hover bikes, I was like, is this just, like, when they had hoverboards and they were just the rolling things? Because yeah. that would be, it's like, okay, that's a bike. <laughs> right, 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 right. But, the, no, the this. The picture's actually, it's then actually, Then you said like, 16 feet in the air, and, uh, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. That's. That's awesome. The only thing that's weird about it is it only lasts ten to twenty five minutes. Right on its battery. That's only going like, to get that's only going to get better with time, though. That's They're true. just going to keep improving that. That's I'm true. sure. Like the fact that it weighs two hundred fifty pounds, I'm sure there's places they could like lessen that and lessen the weight or improve battery technology. Oh, which yeah. actually I'm talking about a little bit in a later story. Ooh, so spoiler. Ooh, spoiler <laughs> sneak peek. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So we'll see. I don't know. If I bought a hover bike, I would want it to last longer than like 10 minutes myself, but yeah. Yeah. Yes. Technology always gets better eventually. So this is just the beginning of this. Eventually we're going to have flying cars. It's going to be all like futuristic stuff with everyone's flying. And then why is that better than regular cars? though? actually, for your everyday citizen, I don't know. Situations. I don't think they'd be better. (laughs) I'm just waiting for teleportation to be invented and the entire transportation industry to collapse. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Revolution. <laughs> but actually. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, my next story is money news. Money, 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 money. <laughs> money. I don't know what else to call this. Um, it's from CNN. Uh, exceptionally large... Pink Legacy Diamond sells for record-breaking $50 million at Christie's. Wow. It's the second week in a row I'm bringing a Christie's (laughs) story. story. I don't know. These are just always fascinating to me. Yeah. 
Uh, so it's a large pink diamond that sold for $50 million this week at Christie's Auction House in Geneva. It's known as Pink Legacy, and it's 18.96 carats, which um, wow. is a very large diamond. That's um, huge. It became the world record holder for price paid per carat for a pink diamond at auction. It's okay. a specific record, but still. <laughs> um, pink Legacy is categorized as a, quote, fancy vivid diamond, uh, okay. which is the highest grade of color intensity. Uh, only one in 100,000 diamonds receives this grading. Wow. So it's a very pink. Uh, the diamond is an even rarer find because of its size, as fancy pink or fancy vivid pink diamonds larger than 10 carats are, quote, virtually unheard of, according to Christie's. Wow. Um, and the sale is actually the latest in a booming market for large pink diamonds. This is apparently a thing that's been happening lately that hmm. I hadn't heard about. Um, in April of last year, a 59.6 carat diamond known as the Pink Star, became the most expensive jewel ever sold at auction after going for $71.2 million at Sotheby's in um, Hong Kong. It was the largest polished diamond ever auctioned. So that's a a massive stone. (laughs) Um, And in November of last year, the Pink Promise, they've all got fun names, um, sold for $32.5 million at Christie's Hong Kong. It only... It was almost 15 carats, and it sold for a record-breaking $2.176 million per carat. But the sale wow. of Pink Legacy has actually surpassed that at $2.637 million per carat. So, yeah, those are some big, very pink diamonds. What do people do with these? Do you just put them in, I, like, a glass case in a room? Yeah, and that's then what I don't know. There's put some, lasers around it, and then There's pictures what do you do of with it. it? I, well, I want to see a picture. That's what it looks like. It's just very pink and very large. Inter- so they've actually cut it into. Oh yeah, a... it, it is cut. Okay. Um, and I, I guess this is like I a ring for that, scale. But... So. So if that's like the true size of it, that's the size. Wow. It's, yeah, that's really it's big. It's very big. Um, that's yeah, that's huge. Right. I want to see a picture of that fifty-nine point six carat one though. That must be. Just massive. Yeah, I can't even imagine that. <laughs> that's a wow. mo- that's frankly too big. Also, I just want to say that I love that, like fancy diamonds is like an official like grading term. Fancy, fancy vivid diamond. That's like the the term is, well, is fancy, is fancy vivid. vivid is like one thing, or is it like fancy and vivid are two things? It's one thing. Oh, okay, fancy okay, vivid. okay, okay. I'm really into it. That's awesome. Firstborn child's name is going to be fancy. Middle name vivid. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> come here, fancy. <laughs> come here. Fancy. Fancy, come. Fancy come vivid, here. get in here right now. <laughs> fancy vivid, get in here and bring your sister Diamond. <laughs> fancy vivid, Diamond, get in here. <laughs> okay, my next story is archaeology news. This is from Gizmodo. Ancient cat mummies found in Egyptian tombs. Ooh. Archaeologists working at a pyramid complex south of Cairo have discovered dozens of cat mummies along with troves of wooden statues and a rare collection of mummified scarab beetles. Oh. um, In a new location. So the Secretary General of Egypt's Supreme Council of Antiquities, Mustafa Waziri, shared details of the remarkable finding at a press conference held last Saturday, the Irish Times reports. Waziri said a team of Egyptian archaeologists made the discovery at the 
Yusirkov Pyramid Complex in Saqqara, hopefully I'm pronouncing this thing right, <laughs> just south of Cairo, which they've been investigating since April. In all, seven pharaonic age tombs were discovered, three dating back to the new kingdom of ancient Egypt and four dating back to the old kingdom of ancient Egypt. So the old kingdom is between 2686 BC to 2181 BC. So like very, very old. Wow. Uh, among the findings, the ministry announced the discovery of dozens of mummified cats and several scarab beetles, the latter of which are now the first to be found at Saqqara, like in that area, the ministry official said. Ancient Egyptians often mummified the remains of these animals, placing them in graves as funeral offerings. Painted sarcophagi for cobras and crocodiles were also uncovered, <laughs> which I've never heard of before. Wow. Um, the graves also contain amulets, canopic jars, writing tools, papyrus baskets, ropes, and over 100 small wooden animal statues. Uh, ministry offic- officials said an apparent sealed tomb dating back to the fifth dynasty of the old kingdom was also discovered. Remarkably, its false door appeared to be intact, suggesting its contents are undisturbed. The tomb will be explored by experts in the coming weeks, according to The Guardian. So there's more to come from this finding, basically. Like, they haven't finished uncovering everything. But there's, like, definitely a tomb there that's untouched. Because, I guess, like, they can tell if, like, people have, like, broken into it or whatever. So Yeah. Yeah. So I I just thought it was cool because I've never heard of, like... Like, the cats, I can kind of understand because of how, like, oh, they love in the cats. culture of, you know, but, like, the beetles, too. Yeah, that's really strange. Like, they actually... I've they definitely heard of the cats, of but not the beetles before. They had, a, like, a sarcophagus for them and stuff, too, and they had, like, paintings of the beetles on it and stuff, and they were, like, mum, like beetle, mummified beetles in there. Did they keep them as pets, too? I don't know. That's so strange. But maybe they did keep all these different animals as pets also, yeah. like, along with cats or something, because that's the only thing I can think. Otherwise, why would they have done that? Right. I don't know. I mean, unless it was just some other cultural tradition or something. Or is, but like, yeah, like, I or just, just like a sacrifice of, of sorts or something. And and apparently that's pretty rare to find that, like the beetles like that hmm. in a tomb. Like it's they found that before in other parts of Egypt. Well, they but seem it's like, like not common. Those seem like they would disintegrate. Like they would die and yeah, just like turn to dust. Think that too, but well, I don't know. Maybe not because they have like their exoskeleton and stuff, right? Right. I don't know. Like for that long, I I, did, yeah. I don't know. I have. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know how long beetles last. Like, how does one mummify a beetle? Is the same the same like, way as they mummify see, I'm other just, stuff? I'm just picturing like a, somebody took a beetle and wrapped it in toilet paper, but I know that's not that's that's not <laughs> that's what they not, know. That's a very detailed process. Right, that's not the process. I, um, I just want to share with you that I we did like an Egyptian mummy thing when I was in sixth grade. Like we were learning about the mummification process, and we did this project where we mummified carrots. It was really <laughs> fun. Like we like. <laughs> did all these like treatments to them and like wrapped them in like linens and put them in a box and stuff. And like, that is so cool. It was like, it was really cool. And it like, it was like learning about like the, what they did. Even now I'm like kind of jealous that you got to do that. It was really cool. And then we put them in a box and got to like design the outside of the box and stuff. And like made it like, we made, we made like a little like sarcophagus thing. And like, it was really fun project. That's that's really neat. I I remember learning about ancient Egypt and I, and I was, I've always been fascinated by it and like ancient Egypt, Egyptian mythology and that kind of Mm -hmm. thing, but I never got to mummify any vegetables. (laughs) It's not fair. I'm sure we could look up that project and do it together (laughs) (laughs) if you really want. I mean, Uh, it was was for middle school, like learning, but yeah. So anyway, that was, uh, that's cool. I, I love when they find new things because, like, it's a, that's like, got to be so exciting find, for them. Because, like, as an archaeologist, I imagine so much of your time is just spent being like, oh, nope, nothing here. 
Yeah. And then you find something this, like that's got to be probably, so exciting. This is one of those like once in a lifetime things for, for sure. the people that do this work. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. All right. The uh, last story I brought is technology news. This is from The Verge. Uh, Keurig is launching a cocktail making pod machine. Really? Yes, they are. That's exciting. So, <laughs> Tell me more. So Keurig and uh, Anheuser-Busch uh, have a new joint ve- venture called Drinkworks that debuted its first product today, or today being Tuesday, uh, called the Drinkworks Home Bar. It hmm. takes single pod servings and turns them into cocktails, alcohol and all, and they're served cold enough that you don't actually need to add ice. Okay, that sounds amazing. It's It sounds pretty cool. Uh, until you get to the cost. Oh, no. So, the machine costs three hundred dollars, okay. which is like probably reasonable. Each cocktail pod costs three ninety nine. What? Or fifteen ninety nine for four. <gasps> what? <laughs> which, if you're doing the math, is just it's just four times the cost of one. Uh, <laughs> which I, I sure okay. Um, and there will be fifteen cocktails available at launch, including a Moscow Mule, Margarita, Mojito, and Long Island iced tea. Um, the pods each have a unique barcode on them that the machine will scan to determine the appropriate temperature and carbonation level. And the time it takes to make a drink varies. A Moscow Mule, for example, takes about 50 seconds, while a margarita takes 25 seconds. So not that long, but it's, I guess, some of the more complicated ones take more time. Okay. Um, users also have to fill the machine with water and purchase a CO2 tank in order to make it work. Um, one tank comes with the thing, but refills of those cost fourteen ninety nine for a two pack, and each one only makes like fifteen drinks. So, <laughs> so really, far this does not sound it worth does, it. It does not sound like a good deal at all. I don't know, and that's I don't half know the reason this. I brought it because I was like, this sounds really cool. And then I started reading, it's like this is expensive. <laughs> like, uh, especially for something like a margarita, where you could just like get some tequila, some margarita mix, and you'll make yeah. something probably about as good. Um, oh, and, and the machine can also brew beer, apparently. What? Um, brew is probably the wrong word here, because it's, it's probably just adding carbonation Instant to beer? something. Yeah, right. Okay, that actually, that does not sound good. And it will launch with um, Bex pods and Bass pods. I don't know if those are brands that you recognize. No. Um, as well as cider from Stella Artois, which apparently makes cider now. <laughs> so... I don't know. It's a neat idea, but it, it just is a neat idea. It's just like, mm, and they said who it was is good their market, f- right? Like they, well, they said they're aiming for people who host parties and don't have time to like actually mix drinks. But at the same time, okay, but you d- still, mm. and you're not gonna have like if that's your problem, you're not gonna have time to make these drinks look good, <laughs> right? Like you're not gonna spend time on presentation if you're not even gonna bother mixing them. The mixing's not the hard part. I feel like in making a drink look appealing. Well. Like garnishes. Well, and I stuff. mean, is it is the is the thing that they don't know how to make it look appealing, or they don't even know how to mix it, just <laughs> like at all? Yeah, you know? I guess you don't have to. It, it does take the guesswork out of like getting. Yeah, the, like let's the let's say you're right. like, oh, I want to make a Moscow Mule for someone, but I have no idea how to make a Moscow Mule. Yeah, or what the yeah what the like ratios are of the things or anything. I don't oh, know. this machine can do it for me, like. But like, just go online and look it up. Like, don't it's not spend, that hard. Don't spend three hundred dollars <laughs> on a, on a machine. And then four dollars like, to make one, <laughs> like it just seems ridiculous. Yeah, and it'd be one thing if like the pods were like a dollar or something, and then after like a long time, maybe you would get your money back from like buying. Yeah, 
Well, even then, though, that's still really expensive. Like, if you're making them at home, like, I'm thinking, at first I was thinking the equivalent of, like, you going out to a bar and getting the drinks, and it's like, oh, yeah, you could save. Oh, sure. But then it's like, wait. It's definitely cheaper than going out, but it's not cheaper than just make, like, mixing it yourself. Right. I don't know. So is that pain so large that people will, (laughs) like, buy this? Let's be honest. It's aimed at people who don't care about how much money they're spending I think so, too. I think that this is aimed at people that are like, yeah, I can blow, like, I can't be bothered to lift this spoon. No, no, it's probably... Honestly, I think it's aimed at people that just want to, like, have some fancy new machine that they can show people when they invite people over and host a party. Yeah. That's what I think it That's is. That's almost certainly what it is. It's so. not actually practical. It's just like, look at this cool new to- thing I have, you know, like, yeah. new gadget. Yeah, and they, That's what it is. <laughs> the article speculated that the, the cold technology that they use to, like, to chill your drink mm-hmm. is borrowed from their failed product, which they tried to sell, which is, like, make your own soda. Like, not like a, oh. like a soda stream kind of deal, but okay. with pods. Which just makes no sense at all because there's well, there's no way you can make soda for cheaper from a pod than just by buying yeah. a two liter of some store brand something. And the other thing too that I'm now wondering, which I mean, we're diving too deep into this, but what's <laughs> in the pods of this? Like, yeah, that's also like is the alcohol in there? It's gotta be. They don't mention like adding your own, which would also be very weird. What does it if that mix was it thing. with? But you're supposed to put water in it. Yeah. Okay, I'm just confused. Is it confused. like powdered alcohol? I don't know. I'm just confused by the whole concept. How do you do that? I, I, well, maybe it's like liquid with, but that doesn't even make sense. Just a, It's like a shot in a pod? But then why are you putting it in a, I'm just really confused. I'm it's going to have confused. people taking shots out of these pods. <laughs> That's what it's going to, people are just going to buy the pods and then not worry about the machine and just like, stop. Hey, you guys, look, I have alcohol pods. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, my next story is more science news. And this one's fun. This is actually from interestingengineering.com. And the headline is, Seven new materials invented in 2018 that could change our lives. So it's actually like a review of the year of like cool materials that have been invented this year. Okay. And there's seven of them. So it's not, they're not all like immediately recent, but I just thought this would be fun to yeah, just talk no. about. So. Um, okay, so the first one, material one, is the wood sponge. What? You're like, what is that? The wood sponge is a new material developed by turning natural balsa wood into a stripped-down version of itself by treating it with chemicals, and it makes a sp- special sponge material that can selectively absorb oil from water. What? Like, you put it in water, and it just absorbs the oil out of the water. Whoa. I, I don't know how, but that's what it does. Um, and... The, the material can absorb 16 to 46 times its own weight. And then it can be reused up to 10 times. Like, you can what? squeeze it out and what? reuse it. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, That's wild. This new sponge surpasses all other sponges or absorbents we use today in terms of capacity, quality, and reusability. And the material has huge potential to help with cleaning up ocean oil spills. Yeah, that's what I, that's, that was the so first like, thought I had. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that was, like, the aim of the, the research, reason they did it, but, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I imagine you probably don't use one to, like, clean your pots and pans. No. Probably not. <laughs> probably not. That's not a, they're probably going to, like, I don't know, they're going to figure out how to use it to, to help clean up oceans if there's oil in the water. Yeah. Or, like, similar type things. Yeah. That's so cool. It's pretty cool. Um, okay, material two, the strongest biomaterial. The strongest biomaterial known to man was spider silk, which is pound to pound stronger than steel. Many types of research have tried to either replicate this material on a large scale or even surpass spider silk in terms of strength. This year, a team of researchers in Stockholm 
invented a new material that can be touted as the strongest biomaterial ever produced. Um, as a bonus, the material is biodegradable, so it can be used as an alternative to plastic and other non-degradable su um, substances. The material is made from cellulose nanofibers that are sourced from wood and plants. The final structure has a tensile stiffness of 86 gigapascals, which is really high, and a tensile strength of 1.57 gigapascals. In other words, the new material is eight times stiffer than spider silk. Whoa. And it's like a produced thing. And yeah. it's biodegradable. And it's biodegradable. Yeah. That's always cool. It's like really cool. Okay, so that, that was cool. Material three, <laughs> the self-healing material. <laughs> Uh-oh. Okay, so this one's a little weird. So it's called a self-healing material invented by chemical engineers at MIT um, because the material can grow and strengthen itself using carbon in the atmosphere. The technology resembles how plants take in carbon dioxide to grow tissues and become stronger. Whoa. Um, it's a material that can absorb, or a material that can absorb carbon from the air could have a large ecological impact by somehow reducing the need to use fossil fuels to like make more of a material. I'm not exactly sure what the exact applications are, yeah. but like, um, according to one of the researchers, this is the first carbon fixing material to exist outside of biological beings. Like they they basically figured out they made some material that will like grow and strengthen like itself using like just carbon in the air like the same way that a plant does oh man which like how does that even how is that even possible that's i don't know so, that's so strange there that is very very early stages of research yeah right now, but like <laughs> it exists so it's cool okay material four is a platinum gold alloy researchers and researchers in new mexico have come up with an alloy that's said to be the strongest metal alloy ever it's made up of a combination of gold and platinum and the resultant material is 100 times more wear-resistant than high-strength steel. It's like very, very strong, or wow. very, very wear-resistant. So there's like different measures of materials, so that's just like one of them. But mm -hmm. this certification places the new alloy in the same class as diamond. The alloy is made from 10% gold and 90% platinum. Uh, the material does not meet diamond in its hardness measure, but when it comes to abrasion resistance, this material can do better than any other alloy, pretty much, even at high temperatures and with no considerable fatigue. So it's just like its strength wow. is like it off just, the charts like crazy. Okay. Um, that sounds really expensive to make, though. Probably, yeah, because it's like 90% platinum. And it's really expensive. But <laughs> and the rest so is I don't gold. Know the, yeah, right. The gold. <laughs> it's funny. I wasn't even thinking about it. Like, yeah, it's gold. Like this, but platinum is expensive. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, material five, silicon X. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so according to this article, almost all semiconductors in the world use silicon as a base material. However, conventional silicon has a few drawbacks, the largest one being that it cannot be used in batteries. I, I don't know a ton of details about this. It's just what they said. In theory, silicon can provide vast improvements to the battery if it's used as a cathode. However, the problem is that it's, if it's used in that way, it will break during the charging cycle. Like, the material isn't strong enough to, like, oh. not degrade when the battery's charging, basically. So, this new Silicon X material developed by scientists in Norway is a modified version of silicon that includes a mixture of silicon nanoparticles and other nanoparticles of some other substance that they didn't name. <laughs> and the mixture ensures that the silicon doesn't break during charging. And because of this, they were able to make a battery that um, has three to six times the capacity of a normal battery, like Ooh. using this new material in it. So, they could make phones that last for more than a day. Yeah. Three to six days <laughs> since right now they last like a day depending well, like, on what you're doing yeah i was gonna say you're you're assuming my phone lasts for a day <laughs> yeah my, my phone lasts about a day with my use so that's why i was thinking but yeah so around like three to six times that's what they're seeing so that's pretty cool yeah um 
Okay, number six, indefinitely recyclable plastics. Uh, chemists at the University of Colorado have developed a new polymer that can be recycled indefinitely while maintaining the properties of plastic. A material like this could revolutionize our ability to recycle and reuse plastic. That, that one's a little short, but basically, like right now, like the recycling process doesn't always it degrades get, it over time, yeah, right? Like yeah, you like can't you can't just you can't get it back the to the thing. same like state that it was. Mm-hmm. But they've developed a material that it do, that it can like it goes back to its yeah. same like properties. <laughs> so you just actually wow. you can actually recycle it like all the way, which is sweet. That's awesome. Um, okay, final one, material seven: a glass coating that can block sunlight. Modern office spaces can be defined as beautiful glass houses, but this has a problem as glass tends to let in heat from the sun more readily, increasing the impact on air conditioning systems. A new type of coating developed by scientists in Australia can solve all that as it can regulate glass transparency by itself. For very high temperatures, the clear coating will turn into a reflective metal-like finish that reflects the sunlight automatically. Huh. So it's kind of the idea of like the, those like glasses that will like auto-change. Like, yeah. It's that kind of idea, but it's for windows. So... Um, the building can save on like heating and cooling costs, basically mostly cooling costs. Um, okay. So this article actually has a bunch of links to separate sources that go into more detail about each one of these. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but this one was just like a review of all of them, like an overview, but yeah, all of these were developed this year, 2018. So it's like, that's awesome. New technology and pretty recent. It's the future. Woo. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. Is it time for breaking news? It's time for breaking news. Yes. Breaking news is the part of the show where Anthony and I look up news stories that were just posted today and we read them to you on the fly. On the fly. Ready. Set. Go. Go. All right. Story that I found is from today.com. The new Tide box looks like boxed wine and the internet is freaking out. The new Tide box? Yes. Okay. Have you seen this? Maybe. It looks like a it looks like a Franzia box, but it's tied. <laughs> I I swear I saw I saw a picture of it before I actually like saw the article and I, I thought it was a joke. <laughs> I'm imagining there's like a glass with tide in it on the side. You know, like the Franzia has the There's not, no, but sure, somebody I'm did sure post a pic, somebody posted a Photoshop that is essentially that. Oh. Which made me which made me very happy. Um, people pointed out the resemblance almost immediately after Tide announced its new Eco Box, which uses less plastic and is more environmentally friendly to ship than regular bottles of detergent, which, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Um, but maybe, you know, they should have put a little more thought into it. Um, I'm sure you remember this is about a year after the Tide Pod Challenge swept the internet where people would ingest the detergent pods and film it for social media. I, I do remember that. Um, they would prepare them in various ways, making bowls of Tide Pod cereal or sautéing them. <laughs> Which is, yeah, it was weird. Um, And I shouldn't actually be laughing because like 10 people died. Um, 10 people? Yeah. Or it says at least 10 people died after after eating them. So I guess it actually wasn't that funny. But um, yeah, PSA, please please never, ever, ever do that. Don't eat detergent. It's really bad for you. Um, Other severe side effects of eating Tide Pods besides death um, include vomiting, loss of consciousness, comas, fluid in the lungs and cardiac arrest according to the American Association of Poison Control Centers. So uh, don't don't eat detergent, I guess. Um, yeah, and if you don't believe us, you can look up all of the things that happen when you put detergent in your mouth in detail. Like it destroys the entire lining of your Yeah, it's just it's not mouth meant and, it's yes. not meant to be in there, people. Yeah. Um but yeah, in, in light of all that people are questioning why Tide decided to make their product look edible yet again. You would think they would have 
had a thought I'm like sure they maybe did. we shouldn't. I have to believe that they weren't thinking like people are going to think this looks like a Franzia box. Yeah, I, you would just like I don't know. Well, do it, you ha- can I see a yeah, picture of it? Yeah, I have a picture. <sighs> okay. <laughs> so <laughs> Okay, yes that looks like boxed wine. But it looks so much like If you like think like their current packaging right now is a, with the, that poor spout right now. Sure. So they probably weren't, they didn't, real, they just didn't realize, someone didn't realize the resemblance. They're yeah. like, okay, we'll take what we have now. We'll just make it cardboard, which that is what they did. Essentially, right? yeah. Yeah. It's really just, you, gotta, you guys got to be careful over there. Your, your brand is not in, a, not in great shape right now. It's really not. I feel not. like they tried to like, look, we're being eco-friendly. Our Which is awesome. Is good. And like, then, that's, like, that's great. Be eco-friendly. Don't let this dissuade you. But also, you guys should really like think twice before making anything look anything like food at all. Ever. Ever. Again. Yeah. And like that should be a specific question you ask anytime you release a product. <laughs> Does this look like any type of food or Does drink? Does this look like at food? All? Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, the story I found uh, is from the BBC, and the headline is. Food taste, quote, not protected by copyright, rules EU court. Oh. So they had a case where someone was trying to argue that the taste of a certain type of cheese should be copyrighted. Like, they were suing another cheese company for um, making cheese that tasted like their cheese. Oh <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, is very amusing to me. I don't know. Um... So they went through this whole thing, and then they uh, they found that the taste could not be protected by copyright. <laughs> um, in its judgment, the European court said that in order to qualify for copyright, the taste of food must be capable of being classifi- classified as a, quote, work. And it had to meet two criteria. The first criterion is that it was an original intellectual creation. And then the second one is there was an expression of that creation that makes it identifiable with sufficient precision and objectivity. Mm. So if something doesn't meet those criteria, then it can't, like, it doesn't fall under copyright law. Right. That was what their assessment was. So, And, and this they, cheese just tasted like cheese. Yeah, so they said like, the taste of this cheese didn't fall, didn't, like, qualify for this. Yeah. That was their ruling. So it's interesting. So this is not the first time that this court has had to rule on food copyright kind of issues um apparently earlier this year it decided that the kit kat bar did not deserve uh protected status um and it says that nestle was trying to they were fighting this legal battle to trademark the four finger chocolate bar like they were trying to trademark like that design of a chocolate bar i think like in europe or something i'm not sure exactly Uh but um and then last year it ruled that plant-based foods such as tofu could not be branded with dairy-style terms. They decided that was misleading. That didn't have to do with copyright. But now it's just listing food things. Um, <laughs> and then uh, uh, also last year it found that a champagne lobbying group saying... The last point is a sentence that was, is incomplete and doesn't actually make sense oh, grammatically. Well. So I don't know what that one was about. <laughs> won't worry but, about that one. <laughs> we won't worry about that. But uh, yeah, so someone tried to get taste of cheese protected under copyright law. I wonder how a lawyer gets into food law. Like, who chooses that as their specialty? You know, I would argue that that isn't a specialty, and probably (laughs) 
someone special to you is just either like copyright law or like something more general. <laughs> but, but food law sounds more fun. I like food law too. I like the, as a I like the idea of being a food lawyer. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday, and as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and uh, whatever other apps you like to use to listen to podcasts. And uh, you can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash knickknacknews and on Twitter at, at knickknacknews. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Food taste, quote, not protected by copyright, rules EU court. <laughs> Which begs the question, who is arguing that it was a co- copyrighted thing? I don't know. It's an interesting question. They didn't say? I mean, no, they said it. Let me just touch it because... Can I just start over my whole segment? Because I just messed everything up. It's the worst. Yes.